Good to see you this morning. It's great to be back in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. For those who don't know, we spent a couple of weeks in France earlier in the month, and our kids are over there, and we had a great time and visiting Paris. And I just want to say this. I won't go into great detail, but one of the most touching things uh, to me was visiting the beaches of Normandy. Over there, uh, there's a cemetery there with the uh, grave markers of 9,000 American young men. And it was just really awe-inspiring to stand on those beaches, to see those cliffs that those guys had to go up facing the German army and to know that, you know, we don't know what would have happened if that hadn't, invasion hadn't been successful, but we know Hitler was on the march. But anyway, those guys gave their lives for, the, for freedom, uh, not just for America, but for freedom around the world. And uh, those brave men who died on those beaches, because of them, we have freedom today. And because of them, we can speak freely when we agree or disagree with our leaders in this country. We have freedom. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be an American. As Yogi Berra said, America, this is the greatest. He said, this is the greatest country in America. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the greatest country in America. And I'm glad to be an American. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to First uh, Samuel, the 16th chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to continue our series, The Story of a King. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David when he was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. Speaking of David, the Lord said in 16, 1, I have selected a king for myself, for myself. So as we look at King David, Lord, thank you for being king. Uh, let's begin in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for the privilege of preaching your word today. Father, I pray that each of us would have ears to hear and a heart to obey, Lord, your word today, that we would not be just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Lord, Lord may we never forget your promises. Lord, may we never under, underestimate your power. Thank you that we have a God who is with us and for us and works through us. Thank you, Lord, that you desire not just for our good, but for your glory to be made, to be made known throughout all the earth so that everyone would know that there is a God who loves, a God who redeems, and a God who lives. So, Lord, thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Saul, as Pastor Kobe shared last week, lost his kingdom. And why did he lose the kingdom? Because he would not, as Kobe said, listen or obey the word of the Lord. And God told Solomon, excuse me, God told Saul through Samuel that obedience is better than sacrifice. And Saul refused to obey. So David is anointed by Samuel, but yet he has not been recognized publicly. He has not ascended the throne, but David is the one whom God has chosen to be king for himself. And right after his anointing, chapter 16, we move into chapter 17. It's interesting, after Jesus' baptism, when he was baptized by John the Baptist and the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove and God affirmed Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As soon as God's official public anointing was on Jesus, the next chapter he moved into the wilderness 
where he faced the temptation by Satan. Here, I think we see another example of a highlight in David's life. David is anointed as king, chapter 16, verse 13. Then we move to 17, and all of a sudden, young David is faced with a challenge. As Kobe said a while ago and prayed in his prayer, you know, just because we're Christian doesn't mean we won't have challenges. Doesn't mean we won't have difficulties. But God is with us, and he is a God who desires to make his name great so that all the world will know there is a living God. So David moves in chapter 17. He meets Goliath. You know, the story of David and Goliath is one, really, of the most familiar stories in all the Bible. Believe it or not, I have never preached from this passage. Uh, you can ask Teresa. I, I heard a pastor's wife one time who said, you know, my husband's been in ministry for 30 years, and I've never heard him preach the same sermon. What that says to me is he didn't have any good sermons, okay? But you, <laughs> Teresa can tell you, I have never preached uh, on David and Goliath, okay? So I'm excited about this. But it's one of the most familiar stories. Our grandson, John David, I have to tell the story. Colby's told the story before. But John David loved to act out Goliath, and I mean, David and Goliath when he was much younger. And most of the time on the trampoline. I've been Goliath many times and knocked down. But Colby was over there one day, and he told the story how David, John David wanted to be Goliath and he wanted Colby to be David. So they acted it out and Colby slung his slingshot and hit John David, hit Goliath, you know, all pretend and Goliath, John David fell with a thud on the trampoline and Colby's jumping around celebrating his victory and John David's laying there and after a few seconds, he looks up and said, you got to cut my head off. <laughs> and literally that's what happened. You got to cut my head off. This was a final, thorough victory for the Lord. And when God does something, he does it thoroughly. So uh, that happened on the trampoline, but this happened in history. David's brothers have, are at battle. If we go back to chapter 17, I'm going to tell you some of this and we'll read the key parts here. But David's brothers are in Saul's army. They're encamped in Soka. The Israelites are on one side of the mountain. The Philistines are on the other side of the mountain. And this champion of the champion warrior of the Philistines, Goliath, we see him in verse four, comes out to taunt, and here's a word, to defy the armies of the living God, to taunt. That's a, a key word in our study this morning. But Goliath, we're told, is over nine feet tall. I saw everything from 10 feet to nine feet to 11 feet. But he, he came out, he was daring the Israelites to fight. He was taunting them. We see that in verses eight, nine and 10. And so uh, let's just read verse 10. The Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So Goliath was taunting the armies of the living God, the living God. So let's pick up the story in verse 24. David has come to bring supplies for his brothers. And so David, verse 24, when all the men of Israel saw the man, Goliath, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Then verse 26, then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach, it's important, the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? 
The people answered him in accord with this word saying, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. We've already learned that whoever kills the giant will receive the king's daughter. He can live tax-free the rest of his life in Israel. And so it's a pretty good deal, pretty good incentive. This is what will happen to him. Now, Eliab, now Eliab was the oldest brother of David. When he heard that, he, that David spoke to the men and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. You're just a thrill seeker. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Verse 31, and when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul. And he, the king, sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him, this giant. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine, with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. For you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. I want us to see this morning that David faced challenges on several fronts. Before he stood before Goliath, who I'm calling Goliath the defiant giant, before he faced Goliath, he had some other challenges in his life. The first thing we see is in verse 28 and 29, David faced the, his brother's critical spirit. Who are you? Why did you come down here? You're just a thrill seeker. Not only did Eliab criticize David, he mocked him. Hey, well, by the way, what'd you do with that little herd of sheep that you've got? This is Eliab, David's older brother. Now, we don't know any facts about their family life, but and my, you know, I have an older brother that I always admired. I got a feeling David looked up to Eliab. And I'm sure that Eliab's critical spirit cut David to the quick. His older brother criticized him and mocked him. Let me just tell you that criticism hurts and the words of family members can be especially cruel. Now, I have an older brother, as I said, when we were growing up, he's four years older, and we, we were typical brothers. We fought like cats and dogs. I mean, he knew which buttons to push. He would taunt me and mock me and make me mad, and he knew I had a terrible temper. I did, and man, I had, we've had some knockdown, drag-out fights that he always won, but he knew how to pick a fight with me. That was before we came to the Lord. But when he came to know Christ, I came to know the Lord first. And then Eric, my older brother, came to, the, to know the Lord. And you know, it was just whoever's in Christ, the Bible says, are new creatures. My brother, I remember the words of my older brother. He listened to a sermon of mine on tape. And here's what he said. He said, Keith, you can really preach. Those are words I'll never forget. Why? Because they came from my older brother. Siblings, let me tell you, you have power over your younger siblings, family members, you know, parents, let's create an environment in our home that's encouraging. And we encourage our children to encourage one another. Now, my brother today is one of the most godly men. He is, he's got five kids. He's so laid back. It takes him an hour and a half to watch 60 minutes. I mean, he's just easy going. I mean, he wouldn't pick a fight with anybody. But growing up, you know how brothers are. And that's where we find David. He had to overcome criticism. Let me tell you, church, let's be encouragers. 
When we, somebody, we see somebody who has the faith to take on a challenge, let's don't be that cold water committee. Let's don't be the one who says, you can't do that. I mean, they're in churches, not just families. I, I, I've got a book in my library called Coping with Criticism. You know, the only the way to avoid criticism, the only way to avoid criticism is don't ever do anything. <laughs> Because if you ever want to do something, there's going to be somebody who will criticize you, okay? So David had to overcome this. And, you know, there are a lot of people who today who, who carry wounds in their life. Uh, I call them daddy wounds many times, where your father was very critical of you. You'll never amount to nothing. You'll never do this. Or maybe you had a mother who was not encouraged, or worse yet, who neglected, or a father who abused. A lot of things happen in our lives that cause us to face challenges. Our giants come to us, our challenges come in a variety of ways. But let me encourage you today, let's turn, the, let's flip it around. Let's be encouragers with our words. Let's be building one another up in how we speak to one another. Many people here today know what that battle is like, facing a critical spirit. Let's be encouragers. I love verse, 30, love verse 29. David's response is, what have I done now? <laughs> Isn't that a typical little brother response? What have I done now? I was just asking a question. But the words of Eliab might have stung David, but he was not going to quit. Not only did he face his older brother's critical spirit, look at verse 33. He faced his king's unbelieving heart. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Was that encouraging? No. An unbelieving heart. Saul demonstrates a total lack of faith. I mean, listen to me, church. Not just in David, but in the Lord. Saul's unbelief becomes very evident in this narrative we have here. I think the question would be when we first read the story is, why wasn't Saul leading his troops across, down the mountain, across the valley, up to face the Philistines? The, the Bible says Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He may not have been nine, six, but he was probably close to seven or more. Where was Saul? Why wasn't he leading his, tri his troops? Look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were what? dismayed and greatly afraid. You know why Saul wasn't facing Goliath? Because he, like many of us many times, he was paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by fear. One of the most telling aspects of this story is not in this passage, but it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses one through four. Now, this is what God had told the nation of Israel when they go into battle. Look at this with me. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse one through four. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. When you're approaching the battle, the priest shall come and come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you're approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. 
Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is with you, is, excuse me, for the Lord your, your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now, this is what God had promised the nation of Israel. As king, Saul should have led his troops in battle with confidence in the promises of God. For some reason, Saul had forgotten Jonathan. We'll meet Jonathan more, learn more about him next week. But Jonathan, he was not a wimp. <laughs> this is Saul's son. If you remember in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, Jonathan and his armor bearer are sneaking around and they find a, a kind of a regiment of the Philistine army. And they're, they're all hunkered down. There's a standoff there. But Jonathan takes his armor bearer, bearer and goes in and he destroys this regiment of Philistine soldiers all by himself, well, with his armor bearer. Those that weren't killed ran like scalded dogs. Jonathan was a warrior. Jonathan had been to battle. He was battle tested. And so we asked the question, where, where was Jonathan? Well, I think Jonathan and Saul both had forgotten the promises of God. And they were living in fear by this intimidating guy. Fear is a real enemy for many. Let me tell you today, none of us are immune to fear. None of us. C.S. Lewis, the noted Christian author, after the loss of his wife, said this. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. He said, I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says. I dread the moments when the house is empty. Let me tell you, that's the feeling of a lot of people, whether it's death or divorce. For some, it's as natural as your children growing up and moving away. There are transitions in life that can bring fear. There are uncertainties in life that bring fear. And fear can be a paralyzing emotion. Now, let me say this. Because you have fear, don't think that God doesn't love you. <laughs> don't think that fear is really the enemy. Let me tell you what fear is. Fear is the emotion that drives us closer to the God who loves us, to the all-sufficient God. All of us have uncertainties in life. All of us have challenges in life, emotional challenges. But these challenges are there to remind us that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. He never asks us to do it alone. That's, you know, is it unnatural to be afraid? No, it's not. But just remember this, God, the scriptures has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. You know, I could stand here and give you all the Bible verses about fear and say, don't be, you know, but fear is real. And Saul, the great king, was paralyzed by fear. Jonathan was paralyzed by fear. Some of us know what it's like to deal with fear in a variety of emotions. But let me just encourage you to continue to look to the one who is sufficient, to the one who is all powerful, to the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, the one who is going to see us through our difficult 
situations. Fear. David would never fall into this trap of fear and unbelief. Why? He believed the promises of God. He fought through the battle of criticism and unbelief to find himself face to face with Goliath. This is the third challenge. He faced Goliath, the defiant giant. <laughs> Let's talk about Goliath. In verses four through seven, the author gives us a great deal of detail about Goliath's size. He was an intimidating man. As a matter of fact, I, I said he's an intimidating force all by himself. I mean, he is a big guy. And the writer of 1 Samuel makes sure, wants to make sure that we are all awed by Goliath. Again, we won't take time to read it, but it was intimate. He was, his height, his protective armor, his weapons, he was nine feet, six inches tall or taller, had 126 pounds of armor. That's about twice what my wife weighs. He carried a spear with a 15 pound head on it. I mean, you think about it. I love you, babe. And so, uh, <laughs> He, he, he was very intimidating. So the, the writer gives us details about Goliath so that we too would be afraid. And so this close-up view of Goliath, man, look at verse 24. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Let me tell you about Goliath. Not only was his appearance intimidating, but his words were offensive, offensive. And this is where the battle line is drawn. It's not because he was a Philistine, not just because he was a Philistine and David was an Israelite, but this man is defying the living God. Verses eight through 10, we have his taunts. I wrote this and I'm excited because I don't get to say this much from the pulpit. But this big, hairy-chested, proud, self-confident blasphemer. <laughs> I've just been looking forward to saying that. I mean, you don't get to say things like that very often. But this was a guy who did, had no regard, for, had no reverence for God. He was blaspheming God. Six times throughout the chapter, Goliath defies and taunts the people of God. And if you know God's people, if you, de you know, it's just like my family, you you pick on my family, you pick it on me. You pick it on me. If you taunt and defy God's people, you're taunting and defying the God of Israel, the living God. And that's where the problem was. Saul and the army, they are all afraid. David has a different reaction. David is amazed and angry that no one's going to do anything about this guy. Look at verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? So those are the challenges that David faced. A critical spirit, an unbelieving heart from his leader, and then Goliath, the defiant giant. Secondly, David's confidence came from the Lord. Three verses, 36 and 37. This is David's conversation with Saul. Saul has already said, you can't go. You're too young. You're too small. You're not able to fight against this Philistine. Verse 36, David says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Since he has taunted, there's that word again, taunted the armies of the living God. 
And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine, from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to him, go and may the Lord be with you. David's confidence was in the Lord. And I think there are two reasons why David could be so confident. Number one, we see from the text, David was fighting for God's glory. He was fighting for the name of the Lord. He was fighting for God's, for those, he was fighting against those who had no reverence for God's name. He was fighting for the Lord. So we don't miss the fact that David is motivated by his passion for God's glory. We hear a lot about that today. This is a great example. David had a passion for God's glory, God's name, his reputation, ultimately his glory. Those were the driving passion in David's life. Verse 36, this guy has taunted the armies of the living God. To David, God's reputation is at stake. That's what mattered. Even if it caused him to risk his life, David said, I will not stand by and let the name of my God be taunted and defied. God's reputation was at stake. Author Dale Davis says this, this story is not about David's cleverness or even his courage. This story is about God's powerful deliverance in a surprising way through a surprising source, a shepherd boy for the sake of his glory. I pray this morning that we as Christians are serious about God's name his glory, his reputation, that we would be willing to take a stand when God's reputation, God's name is being defiled, when people are taunting, and that, that like David, we would be willing to risk whether it's job or reputation or even life. And sometimes that's where our battle lines are drawn, is around the glory of God, reverence for his name, I mean, you know, some of you guys who work in the mill or factory or some of you ladies, I mean, sometimes people have, they just use the Lord's name in vain. And again, I'm not saying we're to be preacher Joe and running there and hitting our head. But look, you know, I remember my dad one time, I was in a truck stop. <laughs> I was a little kid. And this truck driver sat down with my dad and started telling the story. And my dad said, look, his name was Harry. He said, Harry, I don't tell you stories like that. And you're not going to tell that story in front of my son. I will never forget that. I think my dad was standing up more, more than just for me. He wasn't going to have a part of that. And a truck driver's world is a pretty rough world. But there are times when you and I can take a stand for God's glory, for God's reputation, for God's name. There are times when we need to take a stand for the truth of his word. We stand, hey, we believe the Bible. And we're not ashamed of that. The Bible is God's word. It is truth to live by. We're going to take a stand for his word. We're going to take a stand for the integrity of his church. You know, God's church is the bride of Christ. Don't you be talking about my bride in a negative way. And we should so protect the reputation of Christ's bride. Be willing to step in the gap sometimes. Hey, look, that church is not perfect. But you're not going to be talking about my church like that. You're not going to be talking about any church like that. That was David's passion. 
It wasn't so he could be a hero and go knock this guy down. He had a passion for the glory of God and the things of God. Church, we need that. We need to be reminded that we're, we can go with confidence when we go in the name of the Lord. I think of Jehoshaphat when he was facing battle and he was outnumbered 185 to one. He said, oh Lord, we have no might against this great company. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And the prophet spoke to him and said, don't be afraid of this country or be dismayed for the battle is not yours, but God's. And that's what, that's what the Lord said to David here. And that's what David was hanging his hat on. He was fighting for the glory of God. Secondly, he had great confidence because he remembered God's past deliverance. David stresses a little phrase that's so key in this story. He stresses that he and the Israelites, who obviously had forgotten, he stresses, we serve the living God, the living God, the living God. That's so important in this story, that God is alive. Let me tell you, church, knowing about and knowing personally the living God makes a difference in every situation. Knowing, knowing him personally, that he is alive. Goliath is a guy who mocked the armies of the living God, and he will not get away with it as long as David was around. So the question is, how does David know that God really is alive? How do you know that he is the living God? David simply remembers and recalls what God has done in the past. He delivered me from the bear. He delivered me from the lion. And I know because he has done that in the past, he will do that for me today. He's gonna deliver me from this godless man, this big hairy, no, I won't go through that again. Okay. This godless man who had the audacity to taunt God's people, thus taunting God's name. I'm fighting for the glory of God. And I know when I had that bear, when that bear came after my sheep, and I know when that, bear, that lion came after my sheep, God delivered them into my hand and he's gonna deliver this giant. You know, we see such a contrast. Saul had forgotten God's promises. Jonathan had forgotten God's power to deliver. But David didn't forget. I've said many times, we are What? That's exactly right. <laughs> we are monumental forgetters. And again, I'm sure I offended some English teacher. A forgetter may not be a, even a word. But is that not true? Don't we many times forget the promises of God? Don't we many times forget what God has done in the past? We find ourselves fearful and afraid and uncertain. In church, really, all we've got to do is go back and look how God has gotten us through this past situation. All we've got to do is go to God's word and say, this is, what God, this is who God says he is. This is who God says I am. And this is what God says he will do. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He will not change his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We quickly forget the promises of God. We quickly forget the promises of God, the way God has provided for us in the past and delivered us, and we too often allow fear and doubt to creep in. We serve the living God. Knowing the living God gives us a whole new perspective on things. 
Saul says, okay, God bless you. God bless you. Probably in the South, he, he looked at David and said, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. Here's my armor. Take my stuff and go. David tried it on. It didn't fit, didn't work. So let's pick up in verse 40. David goes to move stones from the Goliath. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch and his sling was in his hand. He approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, taunted him again, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, what do you think that did to David? Boy, it just made his blood boil. Okay, he's bringing his gods in this. I'm going to show you who the real God is. I'm going to show you that there is a God in Israel. So he cursed him by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the, and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver with sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. David could talk some trash himself, couldn't he? Goliath tried to intimidate him, but David, no, I'm not going to have it. I'm going to cut your head off and feed the bodies of all your buddies to the birds because there is a God in Israel. So David's conquest was credited to the Lord. You got to listen faster, faster. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. At no point did David take credit for the victory. All David had was a sling and five smooth stones. Again, not much for facing a giant. Verse 45, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. He is victorious because he knows that he is on the side of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, which means he is the Lord God Almighty. Verse 46, his victory was to prove to all the earth that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver with sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. And he did. Verse 50, thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. So we know the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. A great victory. God accomplished for the glory of his name through one willing servant. But let me tell you the rest of the story quickly. As we look at the story of a king, Israel wanted a king. David today would be remembered as one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. But we could not talk about David without mentioning this. David's conquests would become his downfall. Goliath would be the first of many battles that David would fight. David became a warrior. Soon after this, it was the chance of the people 
that made Saul so angry with David when the people would, where they would chant, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul, you think you're a warrior. David is the true warrior. David would fight battles on the field and David would fight battles in his personal life, which had been well documented. At the end of David's life, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord, a place for God's glory. And just remember, all along, God said, David is a king, a man after my own heart. But when David wanted to build the temple for God, you remember God's response, 1 Chronicles 28, 3? David recounts, but God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. See, some of the blood that David shed was innocent blood. Do you remember Uriah, the Hittite? The Bible says he was a noble man. David had him killed. David knew what it was like to conquer. And like all of us, every one of us, David knew what it was like to fail, to fall flat on his face, to make mistakes that impact not only his life, but the life of his family with tragic consequences and the ripple effect for many, many people. David knew God's power, but listen to me, David knew God's grace. David was a warrior king, but he was not the perfect king. God's power and God's grace come shining through in the life of David, but he was not the king. Jesus is the true conquering king. David, at this point, had been anointed by king by, king by Samuel and would eventually take the throne. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. David was blessed by God. God promised that the throne of one of his descendants, one of his descendants would be established forever, that his throne would be established forever. But David was not that king. God's eternal king would also be a man of bloodshed. God's eternal king would be a man who shed blood. Not innocent blood of other men, but he shed his own blood. He gave himself on the cross so that you and I might enter into the kingdom of God, that we might be a part of God's family. By his blood, we have been redeemed. His blood became the sacrifice once for all that men may come to God. Jesus is the true king. He was despised and wretched, rejected by men, criticism, unbelief. He knew that. He was dedicated to doing all for the glory of God. Paul says in Philippians 2, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And at the end, he says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All that Jesus did, he did for the name of God, for the glory of his Father. Jesus defeated death through the shedding of his blood. In 1 Samuel, the promised king defeats the enemy of his people. David had to do it, for the enemy taunted Yahweh. Yahweh's enemy was defeated in a surprising way. It wasn't by the mighty army of the Israelites. It was by a little ruddy shepherd boy named David, a surprising source for a surprising deliverance. How did God deliver us? In a surprising way. God himself became a man. His own son dwelled among us. 
John says, we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten, the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he came to deliver us as the conquering king. Lastly, how does our conquering king <coughs> give us assurance today? How do we deal with criticism? Let me tell you what we do. We listen to what God says about who we are. We are beloved in Christ. If you ever doubt that God loves you, just look at the cross. For God so loved the world. How do we deal with criticism? We know that we are beloved in Christ. How do we deal with unbelief in our life and the lives of others? We remember the promises of God. And we recall the past deliverances of God. How do we deal with fear? We look to the Lord instead of our circumstances. As I close, hear the word of the Lord. Ephesians 6, Kobe read a while ago. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Church, there's the secret. Be strong in the Lord. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says you can know him. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we can be saved. We can know him as our personal king, Lord of our life. And let me tell you, that's what Lord means. If we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, then he is our king. And then we believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our conquering king. Thank you, Father, even though we face the challenges of criticism, we face the challenges of fear and unbelief. God, we face the challenges of giants that come into our life in many forms. Lord, the giant of cancer, the giant of divorce, the giant of financial difficulty. Lord, we know and through experiences of life that you don't always deliver us in the way we would like to be delivered. But God, we know this, there is a God. And by the way, we go through these challenges and face these challenges, everyone will know that we serve the living God. Lord, our very life is different because of who you are. Knowing about and knowing personally the living God changes every circumstance that we encounter. Lord, we know that you will not leave us nor forsake us. You've promised that. You've promised us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Lord, as we face these challenges, Lord, our hope is not in our bank account or anything other than the hope in the living God. And Lord, may we, through our life, the way we live our life, demonstrate to all who watch that there is a God in Israel. There is a God who's alive, a God who lives. Lord, again, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.